Chapter 13 of On Two Feet and Wings by Abbas Kabarosen. During the next four days, I tried to occupy myself with as much work as I possibly could. The only incident worth reporting was that I lost my first math in back, match in backgammon. It was close, but I was outplayed by a better player. Luckily, Murat had not put a lot of money on me, as he knew that I was the weaker player. I think he had hoped for a miracle. The shoeshine business was doing very well, and to annoy me, Murat kept commenting on how it all had been his idea. I'd always point out that he had to trust me to give to him his fair share of money, and then he would smile. He never tried to check whether I was stealing for him, and of course I didn't. I didn't share the tips with him, so I always made more than him anyway. I was not in top form because my birthday was still at the back of my mind. My mother's voice had been a reminder of what I was missing by being in Istanbul. The day finally arrived when I had to go back to the consulate. I came downstairs in my best clothes and gave my own shoes a good shine. In the same way I could drink free tea, I could polish my shoes for free too. I had decided that this was the day I would take a risk. Murat, I said, do you have some of the lira I asked you to put in the safe for me? I have all of it, he said with a smile. Do you want it? Yes, please. Without hesitation, he opened the safe and there was my pile. It had built up slowly as I had added my earnings to it. I took the liras. Murat, yes. Can you put some of my dollars in there? Sure, he said. How many? Around 800, I said softly. He looked at me very coolly and winked. No problem, little man. He took the money from me, put it in an envelope and wrote my name on it. Then he put it in the safe where my Turkish lira had been. I just did not want to worry any more about losing the money. I had four or five hundred dollars more hidden in my room and the rest on me. I began to walk off to the kitchen to get some tea when Murat stopped me. Oh, by the way, are you going to write a letter today? No, I said. I'll speak to my parents tonight. He had started to get on my case because I had stopped writing as many letters as I used to. It was nice of him to do that. He said it was important to write letters to one's folks. Mirat's own parents lived in a village a long way from Istanbul, and he had told me that ever since I had arrived, he had started to write to them. As I sipped my tea, I wondered what was going to happen at the consulate. I hoped that I would be as lucky as my last two visits in finding someone to translate for me. I wondered if I would see Tarina there. I knew it wasn't likely, but it was possible, as she too had been asked to return with her papers in 10 days. I got off the bus outside the consulate. Both the armed guards from my first visit were there, and with gentle smiles, they opened the gates again without looking at my passport. It was a really busy day there. I couldn't see a single empty seat. Now I was less worried about finding a translator and more worried about how long I'd have to wait. As I went toward the ticket machine to take a number, a series of loud taps stopped me. They were coming from the booth of my friend. He was waving at me like crazy, like a crazy baboon. I couldn't understand what he wanted me to do. He began to point to a door behind the glass booth, which only the consulate staff used. I started to walk toward it. I saw the man smile from the, behind the counter. The more he smiled, the faster I walked. I stood at the door waiting. Almost everyone at the consulate was now staring at me and obviously whispering about me under their breath. I was beginning to panic. Who would translate for me? The door opened and my friend guided me through with a welcoming gesture. Behind the booth was a fantastically air-conditioned open-plan office with computers and photocopy machine. 
The desks were all immaculate and the people were working there were dressed in elegant business clothes. The carpet looked soft and fresh and it ha- as if it had been shampooed only the day before. There was a rosy smell of air freshener. I followed the man through another door at the back of the office, which led to a long corridor with polished floorboards instead of carpeting. There was a heavy wooden bench outside and opposing oak doors in the center corridor, and at the far end I could see an entrance to a grand foyer. The man indicated I should sit on the bench and wait. He spoke too, but only under- I only understood the gestures. I sat there staring around me. There were huge paintings, larger than me, of horses and foxes hanging on either side of the wooden doors. These oil paintings were like none that I had seen before. I must have waited for over an hour. I didn't see anyone in all that time, and I began to panic that they had forgotten about me. Suddenly, a man who looked very Persian appeared and walked toward me. He smiled, but didn't say anything. The man locked knocked on large doors next to the bench and a loud resonant voice responded enter the man went in and once again i waited alone then the door opened a man of considerable stature and class stood before me immediately i rose to my feet he had blonde hair that was turning white and the wrinkles in his skin gave him the look of a wise man his small piercing blue eyes looked out from behind the delicate metal framed glasses and he was dressed in a finely tailored beige suit, a salmon pink shirt, and a silk tie with a perfect knot. He offered his hand. Hello, he said in a deep voice. As I understood, I responded in English. Hello, my name is Abbas Kazaruni. The man chuckled, then made a remark to the other man who had entered the room before me. I could not understand what he said, but they both laughed. The Persian man also came up to me and shook my hand. Hello, Abbas, he said in Farsi. I am a translator. They were expecting you, and they asked me to come in and help you. Thank you, I said in English. I was still completely awed by this magnificent office. There were old-school photos on the walls and more oil paintings and souvenirs from all over the world. There were photographs of distinguished-looking men with the Prime Minister of England, Margaret Thatcher. I knew who she was because my father always talked about her. He would tell me how Margaret Thatcher was tough and would tolerate no nonsense. On a mahogany desk lay fancy fountain pens and beautifully framed photos of what must have been the man's family. The man in the beige suit gestured to me to sit down and he turned to examine the sheaf of papers. I recognized some of them as documents, of the documents I had given to my consulate friend 10 days before. He then spoke very quickly and firmly to the translator who made a few notes and turned to me. This, Abbas, he said, is the man in charge of the consulate. He is a very important man, the consul. I can tell. He does not usually get personally involved in visa cases, but on hearing your story, he decided to look at it himself. Thank you, I said again in English. This was making the man smile. It was the core of my 10-word English vocabulary. He says it's important that you do not lie about anything because that would mean that you would never get a visa for England. I know. I told the other man only the truth, I said firmly. The translator and the consul exchanged a few more sentences before the translator turned to me again. As he was about to speak, a lady knocked on the side door office and walked in carrying a tray. On it was a glass of water, hot chocolate, and fine 
fine china cup and biscuits. She gave the water to the translator and then set the tray down in front of me. I didn't touch anything. The council says that, that that's all for you, he said, smiling. He says it's his son's favorite. With that, the consul picked up one of the photographs on his desk and showed me a picture of his wife and his son. Hesitantly, I picked up the cup, making sure I did not spill any of it. It was delicious, and I downed it in a few gulps. Then the translator got us back to business. The consul says that he knows you have told the truth so far, and as your story has been verified, he just wants to caution you for the future. Okay. He says that he wanted to meet you and is pleased that he has. He says that he likes you. Thank you. Again, I spoke in English to the council. He nodded at me. The translator continued. He wants to help you, but he cannot guarantee anything. Do you have any questions? I thought about it before answering him. Yes, I want to know how long these things take. The men conferred for a few minutes and then trans the translator told me, the council says that there is no set timeline for these things and he cannot give you a specific date because he does not want to disappoint you. However, he does says that he has a boy very close in age to you and he knows that he would not want him to be alone in Istanbul. He says that he will try his best for you, but again, he wants you to know that there is no surety. After a point, it's not in his hands. Thank you very much, I said to the council, and he smiled at me again. And from his eyes, I could tell that he did genuinely like me. So what should I do now? I asked. You have to go now and come back in six weeks, the translator said. Six weeks? I was horrified. Yes, I'm afraid so, he said. This is the day you should come back. He handed me a piece of paper with a date and time written on it. I will be here again to translate for you, he continued. They have the hotel details in case they need to get in touch with you before that. Thank you. Both men stood up and I immediately stood too. The council walked up to me and shook my hand again and said something to the translator. The council says to look after yourself and he hopes to see you soon. Thank you. With that, the council accompanied me to the door where the lady was waiting to take me back to the main consulate area. As I left, I took one last look at the splendid room. Walking out of the consulate, I did not know whether to be happy or sad. I had to wait six weeks, but the most important man in that consulate had taken a liking to me. I stood waiting for the bus, famished and wanting to get back to the hotel. There was only about an hour of sunlight when the bus arrived. In the meantime, I was thinking about how my father would react when I told him what had taken place. He might order me to return to Iran and try to save the rest of his money. It made my head ache to think of all the different scenarios that each day brought with it. By the time the bus dropped me off the marketplace, it was almost dark. The street to my hotel was unlit. I had never walked it in the dark before, and it scared me. In my room, I could hear all sorts of noises coming from the street, but now as I walked along, it seemed terribly silent. The only lights that lit my way now and then were from a few houses and flats. Finally, I spied my hotel and decided to make a dash for it. I landed on the steps panting. To my great surprise, I saw Murat in my place behind the box cleaning someone's shoes. He was much too big for the child-sized stool and I laughed at him as I walked through the door. Oi, where are you going, he asked. Don't you want to carry on for me? No, I have to go and get some food first. What about when I get hungry, he asked. Do you see me leave my post to go and get food? No, I said, darting out of the lobby anyway. I hurried up to my room, changed my clothes and checked to make sure that my money was still there. Then I took a few hundred liras with me and returned downstairs. 
As I did, I saw Murat walking out of the kitchen. He burst out laughing. What? I asked. Your jeans. I looked down at him and noticed that they looked a little odd. I don't understand. You're not the first, he said knowingly, and you certainly won't be the last. What? When you washed your jeans, you didn't rub them together hard enough. That means the lighter parts are cleaner than the darker parts. Oh, I said I felt a little stupid, but to be honest, I was more interested in getting something to eat than worrying about my pants. I had just walked out of the lobby when Murat chased after me. Phone call, Abbas, he screamed. Already? I asked as I ran to the booth. Abbas, my father said. How did it go? Hi, Baba. I said, oh, well, it went fine, I think. What happened? Well, I met with the guy in charge of the consulate. The ambassador? I think so. They called him something else. Apparently, he does not usually get involved in these kinds of cases. Why did he meet you? Because he wanted to see me for himself, and he likes me. He said that he will try and help me if he can. That's great news. But he said that there's no guarantee, I explained, and that I have to go back in six weeks. Six weeks? He said it takes time. I said, but if they get any news before that, they'll call me at the hotel. But Abbas, what are you going to do for six weeks on your own in Istanbul? I've been here almost three weeks already, Baba. I said, I'll be okay. Besides, the man said he is the son my age, and he doesn't like the thought of me here alone, so he will try his best for me. He said that? Yes. How did you speak to him? He had a translator for me. Great. They got a translator for you? That is good news. So I'll just wait it out. We'll see. I did not know what he meant by that, but I was almost hoping he would tell me to come back to Turin. Is my man there? Yes, hold on. His response took me by surprise. Hello, my darling. How are you? I'm good, my man. I said all cheered up. How are you? Missing my baby. My man, I said almost blushing. My man. Sorry, she corrected herself. Yes, I went to the consulate and I saw a couple of the most important men there. He said he would try and help me. I heard sweetness, she said proudly. Well done. She said exactly what I wanted her to say. Thank you, Maman. Abbas, she said, what do you do with your time when you're not at the consulate? Had she guessed I was up to something? I watch a lot of television and play backgammon. You do, huh? Well, you take care of yourself, Abbas. Don't get into any trouble because you have a lot of time on your hands now. I won't, Maman. I'll be careful. Good boy, she said. I know you will. Well, you better go. This bill will shoot up. We'll ring again soon, she said. The phone clicked. When I came out of the booth, I saw that Murat was not at the reception. I presumed he was in the kitchen or the television lounge. I did not really want to leave the hotel, but it had been more than 24 hours since I last had a meal. I decided to walk as briskly as I could to the corner shop. The street seemed ghostly, a wind whistling ominously down it. Deep inside, I felt something was wrong. However, by now, I was more than halfway to the shop, and I thought I should carry on. The only thing I could see was the light of the corner shop. Out of nowhere, an arm reached out, held me by the neck, and pulled me into the narrow, dark alleyway. I froze, terrified. A thin, sharp-looking man with a heavy cloak or a blanket over his shoulders smacked my head hard against the wall and held a knife to my throat. He had small, beady eyes. As he breathed heavily into my face, the stink of alcohol made me feel sick. He whispered in Turkish and kept showing me a small bag. I'm sorry, I whispered. This is all I have. I opened my hands to reveal 250 lira, which was nothing. Either the fact that I did not understand him or that I did not have money angered him. His voice began to get louder. I kept repeating, this is all I have in Farsi, and that seemed to get more and more aggravating. 
Still holding the knife to my throat, he began to search my pockets. When he found nothing, he got even more frustrated. He picked me up and threw me against the opposite wall of the alley. My head hurt from the second pounding. He followed me, held me by the neck, and again pressed the knife hard against my throat. I was shaking and looked up to him when suddenly he suddenly punched me across my cheekbone. I was sure I was going to die. I closed my eyes and felt the knife blade go in a little deeper. All I could think about was that I didn't want to die here in this unfamiliar city down a dark alley where my parents would never find me. My eyes were still closed when out of nowhere my name echoed down the alley. Abbas, Abbas, Abbas. I was sure I was imagining it, but when I opened my eyes, there was Murat. For a few seconds, my attacker stared at him. Murat stood his ground. Then the attacker turned and ran down the alley. Immediately, I got up, pretending I was okay, but my heart was racing a thousand miles an hour. I stumbled into the street. Murat reached out to gently touch my shoulder and then my neck. It was not a deep cut, but blood was dripping from it. My head was aching too, and as I touched it, I realized the back of my head was bleeding as well. Tears were streaming down my cheeks. Are you all right? Murat asked. I saw him stare at my jeans. I had wet myself from fear. I could only nod. I ha if I had spoken, I would have become hysterical. This was the only time Murat ever saw me cry, but he behaved like a true gentleman. It's okay, little man, he said softly. Tell me what you wanted from the shop and I'll get it from you. I shook my head to indicate I didn't want anything. You go back, he said. I know what you eat. I'll get it now. I nodded to say thank you. As I turned around, he called to me again. Little man, yes? Don't worry. No one will know about this unless you want them to. He stood there and watched me walk the way to the hotel, then turned and walked down the alley to the shop for me. In those few minutes, I had not experienced the two, I had experienced the two extremes of life, evil and good. As I approached the lobby, I checked to make sure there was no one there and ran up to my room. I didn't want anyone else to see me in that state. I could not believe how close I had come to death. I wanted to be home now more than ever. I wanted to give up. I had tried my hardest, but it just wasn't good enough. I thought about calling Baba. This had been a stupid idea. My father should have known better to send me to a city like Istanbul alone. I cried as I took off my clothes. My neck was bleeding a lot worse than my head, even though my head was hurting more. I stood in the shower and stared at myself in the mirror. The left side of my face was swollen. What have I done to deserve this? I kept thinking to myself. After my shower, I decided I would call home. I sat in my pajamas on the side of my bed, not knowing what to do. My neck had stopped bleeding, but my head was still hurting. There was a knock at the door. I did not respond until Murat called out, Abbas, it's me. I opened the door and let him in. Here, he said, I got some bread, cheese, yogurt, water, Coke, and some chocolate for you. I did not want to argue with him over what I did or didn't want, so I reached for my money on the bedside cabinet. Don't be silly, he said softly. It's on me. No, I said, take it. Don't make me throw you out of my hotel, Murat said with a smile. Thank you, I said, for everything. It's nothing, he said. Oh, here, this is for you too, he held out some ice. Put it on your head and face. Do you need to see a doctor? No, I said firmly. Okay, he said. Do you need anything else? No, thank you. God must have been watching me that night, I knew. Murat never left the hotel on his shift, but this time he told me, he had run out of cigarettes and he did not have anyone to fetch them for him. So he had gone out while I had been on the phone. On his way back, he had come upon the attacker and me. You rest well, he said, and if you want anything, just let me know. 
Murat left and I was alone once again. I locked the door and stared at the food. I couldn't eat anything. When that man had slapped me in the marketplace, I had thought it could not get any worse, but it had. I sat on the bed crying for what seemed like hours. Eventually, I found myself half asleep on the floor. I was glad that my parents had not called because I could not have controlled myself. I decided I was not going to tell them. They would only blame themselves. I woke up the next morning around four o'clock, a nightmare about the previous night making my head spin and hurt. I could not go back to sleep, but I did not get up. When the cleaner knocked on the door, I did not let her come in. I stayed in bed and stared at the wall. I didn't want to speak to anyone, and there was no way I had the energy to work. Murat did come and speak to me through the door, but I told him that I wanted to rest. By the end of that day, I ate a little bread, which made me feel a little better. For three days, I stayed in my room away from the outside world. The only reason I decided to go out again was because I thought I would run out of money if I stopped working. The swelling on my face had gone down somewhat and my head was not pounding as much as it had been. I promised myself that I would go downstairs the following morning.